Okay, let's get it locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, CST, and right here for the Locked on LSU podcast. It is Thursday, April the 9th of 2020, and glad you're hanging out with us here. LSU Strength and Conditioning Coordinator Tommy Moffitt gives an update on the team. Uh, Yahoo Sports has allowed the fans to decide the greatest college football team of all time. You will appreciate this. But let's start with... Um, Conversation that I had with LSU uh, associate athletic trainer Shelly Mullinex, who is the also the associate AD in charge of of health and, and wellness for all of LSU athletics, and we had a pretty detailed conversation because something a lot of people have asked in, in way of nutrition and other things is how is the current staff able to stay in touch with student athletes who are spread all around the country. So I started there with Shelly asking, "What exactly are you able to do right now?" You know, the medical side of things is a little bit different than uh, the coaching side, right? So I think we have a little bit more leeway to be able to reach out. We Our, our goal is to check in and make sure people are doing well, um, that they have everything that they need, that their families are well. We're, you know, we're meeting, meeting them kind of where they are uh, mentally and physically. The coaches obviously have restrictions from the NCAA. Uh, they can call as much as they need to when it comes to this type of contact as well. But when it's you know, coaching and what are you doing in terms of drills, how your workout's going, those, those types of conversations are limited. They're right. limited by guidance by the NCAA and the SEC. But from a medical standpoint, um, you know, each of our athletic trainers has uh, a number of student-athletes. Some have, you know, 15, some have 60 to 100. And, you know, their, their goal is to really maintain that rapport and the communications that they would have with their student-athletes on any given day. And we think that's important because that's, you know, gives them the same kind of connectedness that they need to have that bridge as LSU to keep them kind of moving forward. How how have you been able to do that? Like, I'm, and I mean, like in a in a literal sense. I mean, are you is it are you calling, texting, FaceTiming? I mean, how how are you doing that yeah. right now? So for so the thing that I decided to do in the role, you know, more of an administrative role at this point, um, I'm sending out this Healthy Tiger newsletter. So the newsletter is reaching basically all the student athletes, all the um, professional staff, all the supporting staff, and CAF and academics. And basically, it's a newsletter that hits on a whole bunch of different um, areas and, and ideas. I have a you know FAQ section that I'm actually either using people's real questions that they have or creating questions that I suspect they may have but aren't necessarily asking them. And then sections that uh, engage them on you know their knowledge base about COVID and um, everything that has gone on from mental health and dangers of isolation and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it started off for the first two weeks, which felt like it was a month, but yeah. it was only like essentially 14 days um, every day a newsletter because it, the information was coming out so rapidly that if you didn't really follow up the next day with, with more information, then what you had just sent out the day before was actually not even accurate anymore. Yeah. Um, so we started off the first two weeks with um, dailies and uh, going into this this week, we started doing them twice a week. So Tuesdays and Fridays, I'm basically sending the information out. So they're getting it. They're getting that type of communication that they can kind of count on. Um, it comes in an email form. It has a, a personalized email message on the front end, and then newsletters attached. Um, so I've gotten really good feedback on that. And um, I think for I think for me, there's no one that's going to argue who's reading the messages. It's more about my own. Tharsis, but put into it, not not necessarily what they're thinking. But I've always gone on the assumption that 
how I'm probably feeling is probably similar to how other people are feeling. So yeah. I, I don't want to just paint a rosy picture of everything you know, that's going great because it would be disheartening for people who are not feeling that same way to think that there's something wrong in their life at this moment. Shelly, you mentioned your... So that's pr- how I'm getting my stuff out there. Um, mm. You mentioned you're publishing FAQs. What's, what's the most common question or questions that you're getting right now? Well, it's been in phases. So at the beginning, it was, are we going to play spring football game? Are we going to be able to come back for our season? Um, and then, you know, within usually about two or three days, those questions were answered. Um, and I would say they were answer, answered partially, right? Because there was always just another layer to the question. So if we're not going to come back until, you know, it was um, April 15th, does that mean we still can play our spring game? Well, then two days later, that message will come out from the conference that the spring games are off. So it's just been every, literally every day, it's been another set of questions. It's been the easiest newsletter to write because there's so much information that's out there that they need to hear and that staff need to hear and that the academic folks want to get out, that it's, it's just, it's a regular flow. I mean, I feel like it's a daily newspaper. Like it's not hard <laughs> to put together a daily newspaper because there's stuff going on all the time. Uh, you're also the, the athletic department's nutritional consultant. So as far as nutrition goes, w- I, that's obviously a huge concern, right? When you have like college yeah. kids that are on, but, like fending for themselves nutritionally right. when they don't right. have the, the nutrition center right there. What what is that like right now? Um, I think that that's a big struggle for all student athletes across the country. I think that this this has been a time more than any other time where I've where I have felt like the disparage the disparity between race and class has become obvious. And I you know I don't really want to necessarily get into that type of conversation, but this no, is a very pivotal time for people who you know, don't have a parent who can stay home. I mean, I know I'm very conscious of who's providing food for us and who's working at, you know, the the convenience stores. These are the people that have student athletes as children potentially who are now fending for themselves. And if those people have lost their jobs, there is no income coming in. And uh, the the scholarships that they get, you know, it's been a godsend for sure because they're, they're not, those were not cut. So they're still receiving that, but you know, those scholarships aren't meant to necessarily take care of an entire family back home because they still have rents that they have to pay up here. Mm. So, um, so it's been, it's been difficult, but we did actually just um, get word in the last few days that we can actually provide some nourishment to certain, certain student athletes that have need um, based on, you know, our medical kind of our medical calls in the athletic training department. And so that's good. So if we have someone who is just, um, you know, dropping five, 10 pounds, can't keep food on because there's no food to be had, um, then we, we can use some of the stuff that we have in terms of, you know, the supplements and the snack bars and that sort of thing. Wait, so, wait, so I'm sorry to interrupt. So you are allowed then to supplement those student athletes with, with meals. Are, how does that happen? Do, I mean, that obviously can't come to campus. So what happens? Right. Right. So we, um, we, we actually do have, there's very few people left on campus, but we do have student athletes that couldn't go home. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a whole other group of people. So the, whether they're international or, you know, there's, there, I've learned, and not necessarily within athletics, but I've learned that obviously someone is in a dormitory here in college and they've paid their way here, very possible they're homeless if they don't have this home. So it's important to kind of keep that in perspective too. Yeah. We have a lot of students on campus that are here because there is not a home. Um, so, so having said that, we, we do have a very limited um, uh, food offering for the student athletes that are here. So there's still our chef and the support staff are in there following all the protocols that we can possibly put in to, you know, protect us against 
um, the spread of any kind of virus. Um, but you're obviously asking about the kids that are that are home, that are in North and South Louisiana, in Ohio, and California. Right. What do we do for those kids? Um, our registered dietitians actually each have a team as well. So they're reaching out to those student-athletes separate from the coaches, separate from the academics, and they're engaging with them in, in conversations as well as what do they need? You know, how can they change their intake right now based on the fact that they're, they may be getting less exercise or a different type of exercise? So, so there's a lot of just there's a lot of that going on where there's you know constant communication, um, but when it comes to the actual food, you know they may need to know now how to eat at a convenience store if that's all they've got in their small town, you know then they're going to want to have these registered dietitians say look I, I know it's difficult but they do have chicken you know perhaps you take it that's fried chicken maybe a couple times a week take the skin off the fried chicken and just eat the chicken like mm-hmm. just giving them some really basic things that are, you know, that are, that they can probably manage where they are depending on what the, uh, what the food before them is. But, you know, it, it's difficult because these times are not, they're, they're not really made for, <laughs> for elite yeah. athletes. Um, it just takes a lot of creativity um, and a lot of um, willingness on, on everyone's part to contribute to try to keep them going because it, it is, it's been difficult. Shelly Mullinex is with us here just for a couple more minutes. Um, it, I want to go back. You said that some – did I understand that some student-athletes are were allowed to remain on campus? They are. There are oh. very few. They had to have – Got it. Rationale for that. So yes, they, I, we do have we do have few. I just didn't want to miss. I just didn't want to to, to misunderstand that. And, and you may not know the answer. It's fine. Can you do you know how many? Just like a, a ballpark of what that number is. If the answer is no, that's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah, the ballpark, uh, which is all I could really probably give you, is going to be somewhere in the area of maybe twenty to thirty that are okay. on campus. Okay. Um, what? Uh, two more things, and I'll I'll try to go quickly. I don't want to take up much more of your time. That you also mentioned early that the mental health aspect of of everything that's that's transpiring from what you've been able to tell again it's been three weeks but it feels like it's been three years for many what yeah. how was how that how has that part of this conversation gone for for a yeah. lot of student athletes both locally and scattered around the country right well I would say the the best part about that, that particular scenario was that we had such a strong um, mental health group before this all happened. And we had so many of our student athletes that were already engaged in those one-on-one and team meetings. So the rapport was already there between the three and three to four counselors that we have um, with each of those teams as well. So the coaches are actually having some of those counselors zoom into their meetings as well and engaging them in a team discussion on mental health. Um, usually what happens from those team talks is there are one-offs, right? So if someone is struggling, they might reach out to one of the counselors afterwards and ask if they can have a one-on-one meeting. So the counselors have already been set up from the very first day on um, the Zoom platform and other platforms that allow them to be able to do telemedicine um, in, a, in a safe space, in a you know confidential area, that sort of thing. So they, they really have gone uninterrupted, which has been a, just a wonderful, wonderful thing. I, 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 can't, I can't say enough about the importance of mental health right now in general, but because we had such a strong program to start with, it, it really has just been a seamless, um, a seamless, uh, uh, you know, direction in, in terms of having them come into these team meetings. They've, this is something they've already done before. Thanks to Shelly Mullinex for joining us. We appreciate that information. Uh, the guys on Off the Bench, Jordy Collada and T-Bob Bear, caught up with Tommy Moffitt. Now, a couple of weeks back, you might remember, we uh, spoke with Coach Moffitt uh, off-air 
and he shared a lot of what the team was doing and sort of the workout plans and that that whole plan. Uh, well, Coach Moffitt joined the guys on off the bench, and I want to let you hear a little bit of that. And we'll start with how this has all changed the routine. So uh, it's mainly just communicating with each guy uh, along with my staff. I couldn't do it without the strength and conditioning staff. So we're just calling and texting guys every day, uh, asking questions, you know, answering questions, giving them suggestions on what they might do when uh, sometimes little or no equipment at all is available. Now, amid this, there are obvious challenges in spite of the fact that they're able to communicate uh, you know, digitally. Here was Coach Moffat talking about some of the guys like gaining, losing weight, rehab, etc. You know, there's still guys that have to gain weight and there's still guys that have to lose weight. And we're constantly working between Shelly and Zach Bennett, our nutritionist, and Jake Riedel, my assistant, who is responsible for being the liaison to our dietitians, et cetera. They're working on strategies for individual players to help them to lose or gain weight, which, you know, right now, again, that's hard, you know, because if you're going to gain weight, extra calories help, but you also have to resist that strength. And then now the losing weight part, that should be the easiest right now because all a guy has to do is go outside and run. So, we're, you know, we're individualizing that, but, you know, and then there's guys that have to do rehab. So, you know, I've called those guys and said, make sure that, you know, when you have time to do this, 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 and this, you know, and that's about all you can do. This is interesting also with Coach Moffitt talking about how they've tailored workouts for each guy, depending on what they need. On the 12th or 13th of March, I don't exactly remember when we were told that we were going to be locked out we sat down as a strength and conditioning staff and we came up with five different options that we wanted our guys to attempt option number one is what we're currently doing so someone like max or aaron or anybody else out there that has access to barbells dumbbells and kettlebells has plenty to do and then option number five is a series of different body weight circuits with push-ups and dip, you know, chair dips and body weight squats, single leg squats, chin-ups, and it's just body weight exercises. Uh, so the lifting part is the hardest part. So clearly they have a plan, and that's the great news. And the other thing that Coach Moffitt put into perspective is that it's not like it's just LSU going through this. Fortunately for us, everyone um, has the same issues. It doesn't matter if you're here or Tennessee Tech, where I played football, where we all follow or fall under the same rules, uh, you know, given to us by the NC2A. So we're not unlike anyone else. So it's just a matter of our ability to communicate and our players' uh, ability to find something to do while remaining safe. That's the key. If you want to catch our conversation with Shelly Mullinex or uh, the off-the-bench crew talking to Tommy Moffitt, you can go and get it at 1045ESPN.com. That Shelly Mullinex interview, also, if you want to watch it, is on the After Further Review YouTube channel. So go to YouTube, type in After Further Review, subscribe, hit the bell, and you'll get notifications when we post there. It is the Locked on LSU podcast final break. We'll come back and wrap up the debate. It's over as far as the greatest college football team of all time. We'll share that with you next. Locked on LSU, your team every day. Wrapping up another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast, your team every day. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That is just a massive help, and we appreciate it. So, 
it's sort of bracket season, and in lieu of March Madness, many people have run other styles of bracket challenges. And Yahoo Sports did a bracket for the greatest college football team of all time. And ultimately, your final four came down to uh, uh, 2019 LSU against 2001 Miami in one semifinal. And then the 95 Nebraska team took on the 04 USC Trojans with Matt Lyon and Reggie Bush, the team that, that just throttled Oklahoma in uh, the national title game down in the Orange Bowl that year. And ultimately, it ended up with LSU uh, beating Miami with 55% of the vote. And Yahoo points out that that Miami team was arguably the, the most talent-rich roster in college football history. But as I've stated here many times, LSU this year could well surpass that Miami team. And let's not forget, it wasn't the 01 Miami team. It was the 02 Miami team in the 03 draft that produced the six first-round draft picks. So that 01 team had a ton of talent, but 02 was the same amount of talent and an even more veteran team, the one that lost to... Uh, Ohio State in the national championship game out in the Rose Bowl that year. But I digress. Uh, but LSU, when you look back and you look at the 17 future uh, NFL first-round picks on that uh, 2001 Miami team, we may look back in hindsight at this LSU team and have a similar conversation about it. But uh, LSU ended up squaring off with Nebraska, 95 Nebraska, and that, of course, was Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips and that great team, which – hung 62 on Florida in the Fiesta Bowl that year to win the national championship. And I've always said, in my opinion, that 01 Miami and 95 Nebraska are the two greatest college football teams I personally have ever seen until 2019 LSU came along. And LSU did, in fact, edge past 95 Nebraska with 51% of the vote, 38,000 votes cast. So hardly a scientific survey, but I will say this. That 95 Nebraska team featured Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips running an option-style attack. The modern day of defense, I think, is more suited to stop that style of offense because in defending against spread offenses, defenses have now shifted their personnel to be able to defend sideline to sideline. You see safeties playing linebacker, linebackers playing defensive end, defensive ends playing tackle to be faster, quite honestly. And LSU is that. Think about Caleb on Chasson playing outside linebacker. You know, think a guy like Patrick Queen, who was a high school running back. You don't think he could defend sideline to sideline against an option offense? It's not to say Nebraska wasn't fantastic. They were. But it's just a, it's one of those things evidenced where eras do make a difference. And the other side of it, I'll tell you, is – there's nobody that's stopping the LSU offense. Even 2001 Miami. Everybody may have a number one corner. Great. You can try to take away Jamar Chase. But then what happens whenever you bracket Jamar Chase? Well, Justin Jefferson scores four touchdowns in the first half like he did against Oklahoma. Uh, LSU offensively was a juggernaut unlike college football has ever seen especially at the highest level of college football, and they would score on anybody, including 95 Nebraska. So I, I am admittedly biased, but when you look at a team that beat half of the final top 10, let me say that again, LSU beat half of the final top 10, number two Clemson, number four Georgia, number six Florida, number seven Oklahoma, number eight Alabama, and only the Florida game 
was in Tiger Stadium. All of the others were on the road or at neutral venues. What LSU did, and when you compile it with the fact that they scored the most points in a season in the AP poll era, uh, they went 15-0, and which those other teams didn't even have to play 15 games. Uh, you know, Obviously, Joe Brady won the Broyles Award. Ogeron won National Coach of the Year. Offensive line to you know, the Joe Moore Award. Jamar Chase won the Blitnikoff. Delpit won the Thorpe. Epic numbers offensively. It was absolute. And then, of course, Joe Burrow won the Heisman by the largest margin in the history of the award. Um, it's not recency bias. It's just a fact. We witnessed the single greatest season in college football history. What a joy it was. And it never gets old saying that. All right, y'all. We'll put a button on it here. If you would, please subscribe to the podcast. Share this. Retweet it. Share it on Facebook. However you can help us spread the word. Tell your friends. People sitting around in quarantine looking for some LSU content. We got it for you here about 20 minutes or so every single day on the Locked on LSU podcast. Your team. Locked on LSU podcast.